Um, my name is Sarah Jones and I am a church minister, pastor of a local church in Fleetwood. A lot of people ask, where, the, where on earth is Fleetwood? Does anybody know where Fleetwood is? Blackpool. Near Blackpool, yeah. So just a little bit further along the coast. I actually live in a little town called Cleveleys. Um, which is in between Fleetwood and Blackpool. Um, I'm married to Peter. Uh, we've been married coming up six years, and I have a four-year-old son called Ethan. And uh, he sent me a picture this morning of them um, putting in potatoes in the vegetable patch there already. And uh, Ethan's got all these monster trucks out, and he's in the veg patch getting muddy. So they're absolutely fine uh, this weekend. So this morning's, well, no, it's not this morning, it's this afternoon, it's two o'clock. Um, we're going to be speaking about seasons in our life where we, where we often feel like we're hidden. And I think as women, you know, we sort of juggle so many different things in life that there are times where you sort of feel quite <coughs> alone or quite, you know, in dark times or in desert periods of our, li our lives. And so I just want to share a little bit of a background um, of, of who I am, and we're going to be looking at um, mo the, just the, the early part of Moses's journey. And so if you maybe, if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Exodus chapter 2, I'm going to be looking at uh, pulling out some things from him. Um, can I just borrow that book, sir? So obviously I'm a leader in, in a church, um, you not, might not be a pastor, but if you're in a leadership capacity or you want to grow as a leader or an, as an influencer, this is a great book to have. And so I'm, I'm not preaching her chapter, but there are elements of, of this book or elements of uh, a chapter in this that, that I'm basing some of this on. So she's called Ruth Haley Barton. And it's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. So, um, oh, food. <laughs> so, yeah, my name's Sarah Jones. And I've been um, a church minister for over, for over 10 years. I've been saved about 20 years. So I'm going to be 40 years old in about two weeks' time. I can't believe it. So I'm still in my 30s. I'm 39. And, um, but a lot of my early years of being a leader in church, I was often given opportunities. I knew early on in my journey that I was gifted in, in speaking and in preaching and just sharing God's word. I had a real hunger to be used by God. And, um, but I didn't always, as, an, as a young leader, I didn't particularly like my own company. I didn't like being on my own um, for, for lengths of time. I, didn't, I always needed to be busy. And I was uh, single until I was 32. So I met Peter when I was 32. So a lot of my 20s and early 30s, I really struggled with, with loneliness, um, lots of insecurities. For all of my 20s, early 30s, really up until I got married, which you know gives a big brownie points to Pete. But I really struggled with my mental health, um, really severely struggled with depression, anxiety, um, really plagued me. And I think um, even in my childhood, just had a lot of um, low self-esteem. Um, as a child, I was, I was haunted by thoughts, had quite a lot of demonic experiences. And then as a child, my parents went through a really difficult time in their marriage. 
Uh, my father had had a number of affairs and that just made me, you know, my parents split up for a season. You know, thank God they did get back together and my dad did get saved. But that made, you know, it kind of really impacted my life. And I'm sure for many of you have been broke, you know, part of broken families or, you know, you're not sure about your parents. Um, there was, you know, I saw quite a lot of tough times in my in my parents' marriage. And... And I held actually quite a lot of unforgiveness um, towards my mum and and my dad in that and resentment towards them. And I'd, I'd made inner vows as well. I would not recommend them. But inner vows that said, I'm never going to trust a man. I'm never going to trust, you know. And, and so I had quite big commitment issues, which is maybe why I didn't get married till I was 34. And, uh, and so I was just, yeah, really grappling with those with those things and relationships were always something that I had quite a lot of hang-ups about. Um, I really struggled with same-sex attraction all the way through my my twenties and um, yeah, for a lot of my my teenage life as well. And that was a real struggle as a Christian, being brought up in church, just having having those feelings, having those things. And I praise God that when I was nineteen, I was radically touched by Jesus, radically saved. I knew that I was deeply loved by him. I knew that I was deeply forgiven. And that really impacted the, the course of my life. That really impacted the decisions that I made, the relationships that I was in. And um, I thank, you know, I thank God for his protection and for his blessing. In my, um, yeah, so in my mid-twenties, I went to Bible college and they were some of the most amazing years, but also some of the darkest years of my life because I was having to face some of these demons from my past, having to face rejection, having to face, you know, there were times at Bible college where I was just paranoid because I always felt left out. I was, you know, just really insecure. And so I was facing these things. And when you're in, you know, if you've been, if you've ever done a degree, you know that you actually spend so much time alone, studying, working out your, you know, your, your work, your essays, and that was a real struggle for me. And so it felt like there have been seasons in my life where God has on purpose put me in places where I've had to be in solitude, where I've had to be alone, where I've had to be quiet. And so in those years at Bible college, again, they were really, they really struggled. Then when I came out of Bible college, God opened up doors for me to be a, a church minister. I went through ministering training. I was ordained in within Elim. And when I was ordained, I was working in Costa Coffee. And, uh, and I wasn't employed by my church. And I was also working as a painter and decorator. And so for five years, I was in a job as a painter and decorator, where again, I was by myself. I was alone. I spent hours upon hours of a day sorting out skirting boards, lining wallpaper, painting, doing lots of tedious, monotonous jobs that I had to that I that I did to earn money. But it was in these seasons, these dark seasons of the soul, where I was faced with what was really going on inside of me. Anybody you know get that? Where you feel like you're having to face stuff. And there's only so often that we can keep forcing these things down and ignoring our past or ignoring our childhood or ignoring our rejection or ignoring sexuality issues or ignoring whatever it is 
but God will keep setting you up in places of solitude or places where you get to see that ugly side of your character, that ugly side, that anger, that guilt, that grief, whatever it is, until you allow God to start to heal it. And those healing processes take a long time. They take a while to, to sort through. But I praise God because that journey for me from being pretty clinically depressed at 19 through to about 32, 13 years, God took me on a journey of sorting out my mental health, sorting out issues of the past, and I kept yielding to him. And my message today, more than anything, is that we are to be women that are yielded to God, that keep admitting our need to God and submitting to him. Can you say admit? Admit and submit. 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 Admitting our needs to God. So I would run to God with my, with my, you know, being in a sometimes inappropriate female relationship or finding that I had feelings that I just didn't know what to do with or being in guilt or being in condemnation or being in perfectionism. And I would run to Jesus with these things and I would admit to Jesus these things and then I would submit to his lordship in my life. I would submit to his process, submit to whatever he had and what and 2 Corinthians 3 says now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and we all who with unveiled faces when we contemplate the lord's glory we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory that's that that from glory to glory so when we contemplate who god is when we are positioning ourselves in submission and yielding to him he transforms us. Our job is just to submit. Our job is just to admit our need of him. And so these were testing times. And, you know, I can honestly say that I am happily married to Peter with a wonderful son. Um, but I cannot stress the importance of running to God in these seasons. You see, the devil would love you to run away from God when you're feeling or you're thinking crazy things or you're angry or whatever. The devil would say, run from God. You're a sinner. You're a mess. You, God doesn't love you. That's a lie. Run to God. Run to him. Run to him. Run to him. And I thank God that he put me in a, in a church family Again, you're going to keep hearing that time and time again this weekend to be part of a local church, to be part of community, to be part of family. Because in that process of healing, we need, we need good sounding boards. We need God with flesh on around us. We need men and women that we can open up to and walk these sorts of journeys with. And I remember um, sort of towards my late tw 20s, you know, it might have even been when I was 30, and I was, I'd found myself to be single again. Um, I had just broken up with a worship leader in our church, which was slightly awkward. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I just was writhing in self-pity because I was ordained as a church minister. I should be working in a church. I should be doing this and that. But no, I was painting and decorating. I shouldn't be single still at 30. You know, all my friends are married off with kids. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. And then I heard a message which really convicted me and really changed the trajectory of my life, which was start to build what is in front of you. What has God put in your hands? And I think for all of us, that is God's question of what has he put in front of you to do? And I guess the question is, you know, will you do it? 
And God had put in front of me a, a Friday night youth club. I am not a kids and children and youth worker, but on a Friday night for two years, I served my local church investing in young people on a Friday night. And, you know, it was a real, it was a real sacrifice but I did it to the best of my abilities. And when God gives you, when God can entrust you with the smaller things, when God can trust you that you'll do what he's put in front of you, God starts to open up new doors of opportunity. And I just thank God for the place that I'm in now. So in Exodus uh, chapter 2, we find, um, we find a man called Moses, and I'm, hopefully most of you are familiar with the story of Moses. But I, found, I find this, um, his journey of isolation, his journey of solitude, his journey of God dealing with some of the stuff in his life, I find it really, you know, quite encouraging that, um, that yeah, he, he goes through the same stuff that we do. And so Moses is a man, and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, like this lady does, um, Ruth, in her book, she speaks a lot about Moses. And, and so you can sort of get the idea of, of what Moses was brought up in. And I think Moses had a lot to, lot to deal with. He was a, a baby boy that was born into a really turbulent time in, in the Hebrew history, in the, in the Israelites' history. You know, you find that his that his ancestors were Joseph and his brothers. There were 12 brothers, weren't they? And they, were, they made home in Egypt when there was that famine. And then it says that when Joseph and his brothers and all of that generation were dead, they were a numerous people. So this is now a huge number of people that are birthed out of this family. And what it says is, is that is that the king of the time, the pharaoh of the time, he starts to become in, intimidated by this group of people, by the, um, by the Israelites. They are numerous, they are powerful, he sees God's favour. And so what he does, he decides to, to make them slaves. And he puts them into hard labour, hard work. He makes, it says, their life bitter and hard, and he oppresses them. But even in their oppression, God prospers them and God grows them in number. And so Pharaoh decides that he's going to, you know, he's going to start killing off the baby boys. And so he tries to convince the, the midwives of the day that when a baby Israelite boy is born, you have to kill him. Well, these midwives fear God and they say, well, we're not going to do that. So they're sneaking the baby boys back to their mothers and to go home. And then the Pharaoh starts to, to say, well, this I'm going to start making it law now that you have to start throwing these babies into the River Nile. Can you, can you imagine this? This, this guy is nuts. And this is where Moses is born into. He should be dead. But his mother obviously cannot bear the thought of throwing her baby boy and killing him into the Nile. And so she manages to smuggle him home. She manages to nurse him till, for as long as she can until she can't hide him anymore. She can't hide the fact that she's got a baby boy. And so then she decides that she's going to make a basket She's going to put tar in it and she's going to send her baby boy down the Nile. Now, I've got a baby boy. I know you've got a baby boy or not so much a baby anymore. But that must have been heartbreaking. 
But what happens is Moses' older sister actually watches to see where this little basket goes. And where does it go? But it goes and, and sort of drifts and lands at Pharaoh's daughter's feet. She is bathing, she is in the river, and she sees this baby crying, and she takes pity on him. She picks him up and sees, wow, this child is a fine child. This is a beautiful boy. Her heart is warmed. And then Moses' sister comes in at this, this moment in time and says, oh, funny that you should find this baby. I know a Hebrew woman that can nurse this child for you if you want. She says, okay, nurse this child and when he's weaned, bring him back to me and I'll, I'll, I'll grow him up. He can grow up with me. So Moses goes back to his mum, maybe one, two, three years, I don't know, until he's fully weaned. And he goes back and he's separated from his family and he lives in Pharaoh's palace with, with his new mum. And so this is the backdrop of Moses's life. And it says in verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up. There's no mention of Moses's life during this season. And when it says when he has grown up, this is when he is 40 years old. <laughs> There, you know, I'm 40 in two weeks. Like, I'll be grown up, apparently. But I just find that amazing. But the only reference we have to those years of, of his life is actually found in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And this is Stephen now. And before he is about to be martyred, he refers back to the story of Moses. And he says this, he recounts the story of Moses. And he says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in action and in speech. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites he saw one of them being mistreated and went to his defense and killed him. So this was a man that we find from this little passage in Acts chapter 7, that he had great favor, wisdom, educated. He was brought up in the palace. But yet he knew that this wasn't his real people. He knew that he was not an Egyptian. He would have looked like a Hebrew and I wonder if he always had that feeling that he never quite fitted in. He never quite belonged. He didn't. And maybe he felt like maybe he was slightly guilty that he was brought up in the palace. And yet he refers to his people and he sees them in hard labor. He sees them working. <clears throat> and yet God has protected him. He knows that his mother is not his mother he knows that his grandfather is this tyrant, this ruthless man who's put his people in the fields. And in many ways, Moses's life was fake for 40 years, for 40 years with no real purpose. And so it says in Exodus 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them in their hard labor. And what he does, we see something here of the real darkness of this man's life in that he's watching and you can see the resentment and the bitterness and the rage and the anger that comes out of him. Because what does he do? He goes and kills a man. 
He looks around to see if anybody's watching and he goes and he kills this Egyptian. And then he sees again if he can cover his tracks and he buries this man's body in the sand. This is a lot of built up anger and frustration from 40 years of maybe not really knowing who he is. He feels that sense of injustice, but he acts in totally the wrong way. He kills a man. It's pretty full on, isn't it? We see the dark, sinful nature, this out of controlness. And so often in life, you and I know that when we bury things, it doesn't disappear, does it? We can bury our problems alive, but they don't die. They stay alive. And the next day, Moses goes out to his people again, and he, <coughs> excuse me, he sees an argument between two Hebrews, two of his own people, and he, starts, he senses that injustice again, and he goes and he wants to get involved. And these people, these two Hebrews, look at him and say, who do you think you are? Are you a judge between us? Are you going to kill us like you've just, you killed that Egyptian the day before? And then, it, and then it says that Moses ran. He ran into the desert. He ran into the desert. And I bet those thoughts, that, those words, who do you think you are, haunted him for a very long time. Who do you think, are you judge of us? Are you going to kill us like you did? And I think God has a way of when these dark things in our soul come to the forefront, this, uh, the anger, that frustration, those temptations to, to do something that you know is not right, but you do it anyway, God has a way of allowing that shame, allowing that to happen so that you and I can face it. And I find this incredible. And when, Moses, and when Pharaoh hears of Moses' sin, it says that, that he flees to Midian. He flees to Midian. And I'm sure in this room we can all recognise there have been seasons of our life where we have, we've been in deserts, where we've been in dry places in our journeys, where, we've, where God has been bringing things to the surface. And I guess my, my, well, some of my challenges is if we would just sit and listen long enough. If you, even while you're here, would just sit and listen long enough to what is going on inside of you. Because as women, we are so busy spinning so many plates. And if COVID has not taught you anything, it's taught us to slow down. But so often we're already picking things up. We're already on the go at 100 miles an hour. And this weekend is another reminder that is asking you slow down, listen, listen to me. Be close to me. And what we see is that God takes Moses out. And in your life, if you are not listening to God, God has a way of doing it for you. God will take you out. Moses is forced into the wilderness. Like I was forced to be a painter and decorator. Those first two years, I hated it because I just was wrestling with my own company. By the end of it, I loved it. And any opportunity I get, I try and do a bit of decorating when I can. But he goes to a place called Midian, which is a desert place. And the Midianites were, they were actually distant relations. Midian was a son of Abraham. And the Midianites were Israelites, but they were also people that mixed other religions in there. And so he is, and so to get to Midian, 
would have taken, some say two to three weeks, some say a month. So Moses has got a lot of time to think about what has happened in those two days. He's managed to kill a man and bury his body. He's managed to, you know, his name, his reputation is destroyed. He's a wanted man and he's walking by himself for two to three weeks. Barton in this this book, she says, Moses got a glimpse of the dark things lurking under the surface, that destructive power of unrefined leadership or influence. And it frightened him so much that he fled into solitude. He runs to the desert. And maybe you've been fighting God. Maybe things are happening in your life that are uncomfortable and you're fighting that aloneness with God. You're fighting that solitude. And I think God is asking us to allow the process of solitude to happen. Jesus, you know, Jesus was 30 years old, wasn't he, before he was released into his public ministry. And when he was, th- was baptised and, and the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he was then led into the desert for 40 days where he was tempted at least three times by the devil. And you and I, God allows these seasons of testing. He allows these desert seasons for us to be right with him Because the thing is, is that God gives us these opportunities to face ourselves before the stakes get higher. And it was mentioned this morning, not that I'm condemning some world leaders that we may know that fall, but how many times as leaders do they have the opportunity to face those demons or to face what's happening? And then the stakes are really high. When they're in leadership and they're in influence and they're writing books and they're on platforms and then they have affairs, those things don't just happen. Those things are decisions that are slowly made. And then we see in verse 15, as the story of Moses continues, is that God provides him when he arrives in Midian at a well. And this weekend is an opportunity for you to stop and to receive God's provision, and to come to a well. Wells in the scripture, you know, it's quite obvious, they're symbolic of of refreshment and the Holy Spirit, and and wells are a welcome sight in, in the desert. And it says that he finally stops. Maybe to this weekend, this is just an opportunity for you to finally stop, to stop striving, and to allow God to to really speak into some of the issues that you feel like you're grappling with, the things that you think they're unfair, they shouldn't be here, God, I'm not, I shouldn't be doing this. Well, maybe God is allowing these to happen to show what's really in you, to empower you to move on and to, and to grow. So we need to learn to sit by the well because in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord will make me lie down in green pastures. Are you good at being made to do anything? <laughs> I'm not sure I am, but to make you lie down, to lead you beside quiet waters, to restore your soul. The, the, the point of that is, is for your soul to be restored. But you have to allow God to lead you. You have to allow God to, to make you lie 
down and to sit by the well. And Jesus is called the living water. He's a, he's a living water. He says to a woman by a well, you know, you're thirsting for many things. You know, this woman who's been married five times. But what you really want is me. If you really knew who was before you, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And this weekend, you know, so many things can fill our lives. But Jesus is asking us to come to the source of living water. Again, Barton says that solitude functions to settle us into God's presence. It's not easy and it takes time and it takes practice because we have been distracted for so long, filling our lives with other things and we cry. We often, if we admit it, feel like we've lost ourselves and it is only in solitude that we start to find ourselves. And the story of Moses continues and he is tested again and he comes across, he's sat at this well, he's in the refreshing, he's, he's, you know, he's come a long way and he's now sat at the well and who comes along but seven shepherdesses. Cool sight, isn't it? Yay for women shepherdesses. And he comes, you know, he's, he's there, but when they come along, they're being hassled by a group of shepherds, say boo, you know, boo to these shepherds. And Moses, it says, comes to their rescue and saves them. This time he manages not to kill anybody, not to offend anybody. And he comes to their rescue and he waters their flock for them. This is a man now, a foreigner in a foreign land. And what does God provide for him? He provides a well for him. And then what does God provide for him? He provides for him a new family and relationships because he is then invited back to these women's homes. And one of them happens to be single and his, their dad's getting pretty excited. And he finds himself to be married. He gets a wife. And he has a son and he calls him son, it's a really lovely name, a foreigner in a foreign land. Wow, what a great name, <laughs> my son. But that's what he calls him. But I, I just want to say that God, in, in the midst of our, you know, desert places, in the midst of our, you know, feelings of solitude or feelings that we're grappling with God, is that you don't have to do it alone. God provides for Moses a family. He provides for him a wife. He provides for him children. And I just find that really interesting that he then learns to channel this injustice that he has in a different way. And he, he does something good. And he ends up being favoured. He ends up being favoured. And so if you find yourself in situations where you feel like you're an exile or you feel like you're a foreigner or you feel like you don't fit, men and women in the scriptures are... This is, this is what they are. This is what they feel like. So you are in good company. It does not disqualify you. But we are also all foreigners, are we not? We are also kingdom, you know, we are people of a different kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. And this is not our home. So if you don't feel like you quite fit, that's not a bad thing to be wrestling with either. And so just the last couple of things in this story that I find interesting is that in verse 23, again it says, during that long period. How long is long, Lord? It's another 40 years. <laughs> another 40 years. So <laughs> Moses has been in Midian. He's now a shepherd for 40 years. Wow, 40 years. 
You know, you, you hear those quotes, don't you, that God is more interested in your character than, than in your comfort, and you think, oh, thanks for that. <laughs> you know, it's not quite what I want to hear. But I heard a, a great quote, uh, read a quote by a guy called Toby Mack the other day that said, healing takes time. There is a reason the Lord waited 22 years to reunite Joseph with his brothers. The lessons were in the waiting. And so God is not in a hurry to fix us. God is, is really interested in the issues of your heart. He's interested in your character. And you see, Moses was being prepared. And like what we saw in the, the panel this morning before lunch was that God uses the things of our life to, you know, to, for our future. We see how Moses is actually being prepared for some of the biggest tasks of his life. One of the biggest stories of the Israelite history is that he would bring that people out of slavery. But why 40 years? Well, it took 40 years for that king who threatened his life to die. So you might be like, why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long? Maybe someone, you know, maybe God is orchestrating things in your life so that it clears the way. And also it says, which I find interesting, is that it says, finally, the Israelites cry out to God. They have been slaves for over a hundred years. And it says, finally, they cry out to God. Maybe if they'd cried out to God earlier, maybe Moses hadn't have been in the world, you know, in that season for 40 years. But, but it, we don't have recordings that they do. They finally cry out to God. And you see, God is interested in testing us and molding us. And that refiner's fire, that gold, that scraping off the, the, the top of gold to make it more pure. And what I, what I love about the last part of this story <clears throat> is that it says, God heard their groaning and he remembered. I just want to speak that into you girls today, is that God hears you. In your cries and your groans, he hears and God remembers. God remembered what he promised to the Israelites. And so he remembered the covenant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And it said, God looked on them and he was concerned about them and so today whatever you're grappling with struggling with we serve a God who is exactly the same a God who heard a God who hears a God who looks a God who is concerned and a God who remembers I just love that and so in the seasons of the soul and I'm just wrapping up now in those seasons of the soul where we feel overlooked or we feel like we're in the wrong place or we feel like we're not sure God what you're doing allow the process to happen I know we, we want to fight against it we want to ignore it we want to push it but allow God to work his process in a yield to God yield to him like Moses Allow yourself to be alone. I know in a big crowd or if you've come with a group, it's not so easy to be alone. But I really want to challenge you. You know, you're not going to be necessarily called to 40 years in the desert, literally like Moses, thank goodness. But we have to get better at creating opportunities of our day 
to be quiet in God's presence and to sit at his well, to sit at a well where he will restore your soul if you allow him to lead you, if you allow him to make you lie down. And like Moses, maybe one of the biggest questions that he had to face over those 40 years was, well, who do you think you are? Who are you? And if we're honest, that, that is a huge question for all of us to grapple with, is who do I say, who, who am I? Areas of identity, and they will always be things that the enemy uses to target you, to attack you, is who do you think you are? So we need to be positioned at those wells, positioned in places like this where we can hear God's voice, we can be in his word like what Sarah said this morning. Hmm. And over those long years for me, I've seen, you know, I'm not depressed, anxious, insecure anymore, thank God. So that can be your journey of freedom as well. But they were opportunities where they positioned me in need of God every single day. And those have built into me patterns in my life. They have built into me my capacity to be able to lead a church, to be able to handle so many other things. And like Moses, there is great potential in all of us to be leaders and to be influencers, to be people of change. But we have to allow God to deal with those darker areas of our, of our lives. Allow God to strip back the relationships that are not good. Allow God to put you in relationships that are good. God has good things for us. And he led sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. He was the right man for the job, wasn't he? Because he would then lead the people of God around the wilderness for 40 years. He wasn't afraid of being out in the desert. And so what is happening in your life may feel, what on earth is God preparing me for? Trust him with what he's putting in you and be brave because again Barton says finishes let me finish by saying only those who have faced their dark side can be trusted to lead others into or towards the light and I guess my invitation is to keep being people that face keep being people that position our sense of God and Maybe if you're honest, there's a sense even this weekend where you're missing God. I think God is missing you. Allow his voice. So let's, let me just, let's just take a few minutes to be quiet as we finish up. Lord, as life is getting so busy again and so many distractions and so many things are pulling us in different directions again. Lord, I pray that we would, we would be women that allow quiet and solitude in our lives. <coughs> 
that where there is or maybe is that sense of missing, I'm missing God. And you might put on a really brave face and everybody thinks you're the amazing Christian. But really you know that you're in a desert place. Come, Lord Jesus. Just engage with him. Everyone's got their eyes closed. Maybe God's showing to you an area of your life. Just a darker area that you think you just need to give to him. Would you be like Mary, just to picture yourself like Mary, sat at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says she has chosen the better thing and it will not be taken from her. Picture yourself at a well and Jesus is at the well. And he wants to give you a cup of water. Receive that drink from him. Lord, I'm sure that, that, that all of us can or will have been in places like myself or like Moses well, Lord, if there's anyone in here particularly today that really feels that they're in a desert place, a dry place, Lord, I pray for people around them to walk this journey with. I pray for new opportunities for them. <coughs> I pray for freedom, freedom from the things that haunt them. Jesus. Pray that you would you'd really learn to just be able to sit. Even if it's just for a few minutes a day, where you just acknowledge God's presence. Allow your need for him. <coughs> yeah. So come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Amen.